Alrighty, everyone, welcome back. It has been since September since we've had a show for you, so we've missed a lot. We're going to go over the free agent signings from this past offseason. We are going to give a couple projections for the 2023 season based off a few numbers and a couple of budding stars from last year. And we're kind of get caught up on everything that we missed. So welcome to the show. Richie, welcome back. We uh, not only have had a lot of baseball change, but we've had a lot of personal life change. Uh, your sleep schedule is not necessarily what it once was with the little baby, but uh, we are here. We are doing this. How are you doing today? Yeah, I, I now live by the saying, wired and tired or thriving and surviving. Um, those are my two go-tos with uh, having a baby. Things are changing, but um, it feels good to be back and I'm ready for the new season. Yeah, I picture you in about a week just running out around the house uh, screaming, make it rain as you crush rain energy drinks. Um, <laughs> or as you stomp on the bang cans, you'll just be screaming bang and Kenna's just going to be like, I'm a very confused dad. I don't know what I signed up for here. Um, but yeah, I, I mean, have, I haven't uh, switched to energy drinks yet, but I, I have started getting back to, to buy uh, drinks and buy boosts. Uh, the, the juices, they have like 50 to 100 milligrams of caffeine. So not quite at that 300 level yet, but we'll see what happens. Yeah, I can't imagine what your wife would do if she caught you drinking energy drinks. That's a terrifying <laughs> thought in itself. Uh, but let's jump into it. We've missed a lot. We, again, haven't recorded since September. Um, you know, we didn't really get a chance to do our projections as to where some of these free agents would have gone. And honestly, I think we probably would have been wrong on a lot of them. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Hold on, hold on, hold on. You forgot another life uh, change. Aren't you engaged now? You, yeah. You're just going to skim over that? Yes, yes. I, okay. I'm not I'm not Congrats. eternally uh, locked in ch to child raising yet. Um, and everything that you and a few of our other friends have showcased for me is a little terrifying. Um, <laughs> but, yep, I'm on that path, you know, getting married this year. So we'll uh, have to keep that in mind with fantasy season and our recording schedule. Um, you're bound to win this year because uh, of the wedding charm. Well, and see, that's that's a key indicator right there, right? So, like, when we go into the decision-making of who we keep as our players and our budget and our structure with our Dynasty League, I might just have to let everyone walk knowing that I'm guaranteed a victory. I can just start, you know, vampire-style. I'll, I'll just trade you Corbin Burns, and we'll just solidify uh, this charm going yeah, forward. I don't know how high I am on Corbin this year, but we'll have to get to that once we do our rankings. Whatever. Yeah, All right, and he's on your team. It. Um, all right, so we're just going to jump into it. Off-season moves. We have a, a couple notations here of where players have gone with movement. I'm going to start off the list here, uh, read a couple off, and then you know Richie and I are going to talk about how we feel about the placement of each player. Um, so today, breaking news, final free agent has signed, supposedly, again, pending physical. That is Carlos Correa. He's under the third team of agreed uh, upon deal so far this offseason. Hopefully this one sticks. Back to Minnesota, six years, $200 million. Uh, again, not a change of scenery, though, for Correa. So he's going to stay in that Minnesota lineup, stay in that ballpark. Next on the list is the, the big signing of Jacob deGrom to the Rangers. Uh, this one was kind of a shock. He did get the years. He did get the dollar amounts. So he has headed down to Texas. Uh, the Mets did and replace him with Justin Verlander coming over from Houston. And then Carlos Rodon goes from San Francisco to the New York Yankees. Uh, again, Rodon, a fly ball pitcher, so there is a lot of concern there with New York's ballpark uh, as well as the division alone. But, Richie, out of those four names, what do you think the biggest takeaway from maybe on-the-field production as well as fantasy impact is going to be? Uh, I think it's Carlos Rodon. I'm just worried about any player who 
steps into a Yankees uniform and has to deal with that pressure and um, atmosphere of Yankee Stadium and dealing with those fans. Um, I don't want to compare him because he's way better than this person. But look at Frankie Montas. Goes from the Oakland Athletics where, yeah, he wasn't great, but he was pretty good. It goes to the Yankees and just turns into a pumpkin, a shell of himself. Carlos Rodon with the White Sox, not as um, prestigious as the Cubs and their fans, then goes to the Giants and does well. So um, the Giants have a pretty good fan base, but um, nothing compares to the Yankees. It'll be interesting to see if he can handle that that pressure. I think he still will be very good and worth the price tag um, where he's going in drafts. Justin Verlander to the Mets, I think that's pretty much equal. He stays with a great lineup um, like he had with the Astros. So I think he's got that run support for him and he's a great pitcher. Jacob DeGrom to the Rangers. Um, you know, normally I would say that being in the AL West is a, a plus environment, um, but the Mariners are getting better. The Angels or Astros um, are also always at the top. Angels are starting to get a little better, but Really, it's the Oakland Athletics that he's just going to be able to pound upon um, and get wins. So hopefully the Rangers can get him some. Yeah, I think Rodon, uh, the big difference for me with Rodon and Montas is Rodon led the league in case per nine last year. He profiles a lot more like Garrett Cole, I think, in that ballpark. Uh, you're going to see more home runs. You're going to see elevated ERA, I think, from Rodon. But he also, in the profile of Cole, gives you the innings. And I think what we're going to see is probably a 3-3-5, three, 3-5 three, five, three, five ERA, 15 to 18 wins. You know, he'll get you the strikeouts. Um, health is still a concern for Rodon. I think we'll be saying that probably for at least two more years until he can continue to show track records of health. And it's just unfortunate. You know, Yankee Stadium with the fly ball environment, with the back and forth of the bouncy ball is a concern. Big thing for me with Justin Verlander is the change in division because now he has the Phillies, which is a boosted lineup. He has the Braves, which are more than formidable. But you kind of alluded to this. The AL West only really has the Oakland Athletics to beat up now. And then you look at where the East is from the NL perspective. He now has Washington and Miami, both very bad lineups. Put put aside what you want to say about the rotations, not good lineups. And I think that actually is going to offset the Phillies as well as the Braves. But those matchups, you know, if you're looking at a September playoff, you're looking for an August push to the playoffs, you could definitely get unlucky with the way the schedule shakes out. I haven't taken a forecasted look yet. But if you have Verlander running into the Phillies and the Braves, you know, three, four times in the span of the final two months, you could be in trouble with losing your number one pitcher just for the simple fact that those teams are going to play him very, very hard. And at that in the point in the season, they're going to see him. They're they're going to have seen him a few times. So I will say this though: Justin Verlander is one of those five, ten pitchers that I feel is matchup proof, and you're throwing him out there regardless of which lineup he's going against. But it is something just to keep in the back of your mind if you're debating between two players. Yeah, undoubtedly. Even in those early in those early rounds. Yeah, no, I agree with you. Undoubtedly, um, you start him and forget him. It's just you know it it's. It's more of a challenge when you have to go up against very formidable teams, right? I would never bench Verlander, even if he were playing the Braves, but it's definitely a team I don't want to have to see him play in August and September. Um, And I love the DeGrom signing. I love what the Rangers are doing. We'll get to them a little bit later here. Um, I think this is is really, really good for Texas. And I actually, looking back on this past season, looked at DeGrom's numbers, 60-some innings, 100 strikeouts. Uh, he was on pace for 300 Ks if he had a full healthy season. What he is still doing is incredible. We just 
as we all know, need to see him healthy. Um, moving on, we have hit the shortstop area now. So Dansby Swanson decided to sign with the Cubs. Uh, Xander Bogarts is heading to San Diego. He is going to be a Padre for the next decade. Uh, and Trey Turner is headed over to Philadelphia. Three big shortstops. What do you like the most? What do you dislike about any of these three? Uh, I really like Trey Turner going to the Phillies. Uh, what's not really being talked about is his reunion with Bryce Harper. They already have that chemistry. He's uh, going into a loaded lineup. Um, I mean, this this is a Philly team that made a deep playoff run, missing a piece. I think Trey Turner helps that lineup in every asset. I think he gets more runs and RBIs, even though he was with the Dodgers. Um, I, I, I just like his atmosphere with the Phillies more than the Dodgers. Xander Bogarts, I don't really like going him to go to the Padres just because of other players that have just recently gone there. You look at uh, Josh Bell after the trade, he fell apart. Brandon Drury coming from Cincinnati going to the Padres, he fell apart. I don't know what it is. Uh, look, even Juan Soto, he fell off when he went over to the Padres. I don't know what it is, but there's a trend I'm seeing here, and I don't want to speculate, but I'd kind of keep my um, draft picks away from Bogarts this year, just out of that sheer fact. Yeah, I I actually I like Trey Turner the most out of all of this as well. He goes to a hitter-friendly ballpark, uh, goes back to the NL East, reunion with Harper, all that I love. Uh, this is what the Phillies needed after this World Series failure, right? They needed a guy that can get on base, that can get base hits. Like, this was the profile that they needed to fill. <clears throat> and I think we see the best years of Trey Turner ahead of us. And I could see... I could see a 35 home run season from Trey Turner in Philadelphia over the next three or four years. Uh, that speed will eventually obviously slow down, but you have the plus-plus defender. Uh, he was, for me at least, the highlight from the shortstop class. Dansby Swanson is the dud here. I've never been a Dansby Swanson fan. You and I know that. We made our little bet last year, which was closer than I wanted it to be. Um, so really staying away from Dansby Swanson completely. Don't like the Cubs lineup. You know, it may be a few years before Swanson's, to me, even cracking my top 15 again. Uh, Xander Bogarts, though, is the dark horse here. I agree with everything you said regarding Bogarts, but I also think everything you said is why he might actually come out and overperform what he has done in Boston because everybody else in that lineup has underwhelmed. We are getting Fernando Tatis back this year as well, so you're going to have a lineup of Juan Soto, Fernando Tatis, Manny Machado. That makes Bogarts the number four option in this lineup. And if paired right rotation um, with lineup structure, he could be looking at an absolute boatload of counting stats. The big thing to follow with Bogarts is, does he get the power numbers up in San Diego? He really relied on Boston's uh, confines, the, you know, the overall play of that field to elevate his numbers at times. He needs to really beef up a little bit this is the time in his life and his age range where he's got to kind of put on some weight and hit home runs um or is he going to just leverage the 300 average and the really good defense and that's who he's going to be for the Padres it'll be interesting to see for Bogarts yeah, I like that take um you say it like that maybe he has less pressure to perform and actually that's why he does so we'll see well and you know I I really think we look at this past year and I think Tatis is uh, antics and issues really probably weighed heavy on that team. I think when you take what Juan Soto did, um, it, it was it was unfortunate that he fell off so hard. But you know this happens at times. We have to give guys a pass. I don't think Brandon Drury outside of Cincinnati was going to be very good in in general, and he wasn't. Right? We saw the the Cincinnati play kind of elevate him. Also, he was 
playing for a terrible team in Cincinnati. You know, he of course he had a career, you know, three, four months. Um, it will be interesting to watch those numbers, though, this season. So moving on to our final three here, we have a catcher, a closer, and a starting pitcher. Uh, Wilson Contreras did end up staying in the NL Central. He is going over to the Cardinals. That was a big signing. Obviously, Molina retiring. Uh, they get their guy in Contreras to kind of continue this dominance from behind the plate. Kenley Jansen to the Red Sox. Uh, big time news there. And then Nathan Evaldi to the Rangers. Two years, $34 million. Uh, I'm going to add a fourth here. Trevor Story, UCL damage out the majority of the 2023 season. Staying, obviously, in Boston after signing last year. Um, what do you think of these three names, and what do you think of the news of Story today? Yeah, I like Wilson Contreras. I think he's going to play well um, for St. Louis just because he's staying in the same division where he's going against the Cubs. So anytime he plays him, you're going to have that revenge narrative. Kenley Jansen to the Red Sox, I think that lowers his stock a little bit. I don't think the Red Sox are nearly going to have as many save opportunities as the Braves did last year. Nathan Evaldi, I think, is sneaky for him going to the Rangers. Um, you go from the AL East with the, that loaded uh, lineup with the, the Yankees, and you have the the Rays and Blue Jays, and now you're going to the AL West, which we just talked about. You can't beat up as much as you did before, but it's definitely more favorable than the AL East. And then Trevor's story was a, a little bit of a heartbreak for me, but um, as far as our dynasty um, keepers go, I, it actually helps me because I was on the fence if I really wanted to keep Trevor Story or not for, I think, like $30. But with this news, um, I don't think he's going to come back. I know there, or at least this year, the Red Sox came out and said there is still a chance he could come out at the end of 2023 and uh, produce. But let's be real, I don't think the Red Sox are going to be competing. They're going to be out of the playoff race come August, September. What's the point in rushing him back when you have him already signed? At this point, just let him sit out the whole year, get fully rehabbed, and uh, see what he can do for 2024. But that's just my initial thoughts. Yeah, I mean, I, I think for me the story news is bigger in regards to the pieces around story. Um, and I brought him up with the Kenley Jansen signing with the Red Sox for a reason. I think now that you have lost Bogart's stories out for the year, you start to look at Jansen, Chris Sale, other names on this Red Sox team, and you start to, to lower the value tier of where they're going to be this season, especially in points leagues, obviously, right? You're looking at categories. Chris Sale obviously should be similar, but Jansen's going to have less saves. Yeah, if he, sa if he plays. Um, Kelly Jansen's going to have less saves. You know, Chris Sale's going to have less wins. There are the, all these impacting factors that go into the, the downfall of what Trevor Story's season means now. And Kenley Jansen is already on the back end of his career. But it de is definitely disappointing, um, and it's, I think it's time for the organization to start looking at what the general manager has done since getting to that team. He's basically dismantled this, this dynasty, you know, this team that has been competitive for 15 years now, um, and it's really unfortunate. We actually have three more names on our list, uh, one I'm very excited about. So Noah Syndergaard to the Dodgers, uh, kind of a stopgap, I feel like, for the Dodgers rotation. Uh, Craig Kimbrell to the Phillies. I love this. I think this could be a resurgence for Kimbrell. I think he can find himself. Um, and then Jose Abreu to the Astros. What do you think of these three signings? Yeah, I think the one I like the most is Jose Abreu. Definitely a better lineup. Um, definitely a better ballpark. I think he can hit five to ten more home runs going to the Astros, and his RBIs and run totals will go up significantly. 
Craig Campbell over the Phillies. Initially, I liked it, but now I'm kind of confused because Sir Anthony Dominguez was great for them down the stretch. So is Craig Kimbrell going to be the closer or is it going to be a tandem? Um, that remains to be seen. They also just made a trade for Gregory Soto, which he's obviously going to be a sixth or seventh inning man at this point. Um, so I really don't know how to elaborate on that. And then Noah Syndergaard to the Dodgers. I, I'm kind of out on Noah Syndergaard. If I'm being honest, I need to see him come back and be uh, his former self, but after the injuries, I don't think he'll ever be what he once was. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm fully on board with what you just said about Thor there. My only takeaway from an opposite perspective would be it's just incredible what the Dodgers have done with players in the last two, three years. You look at Tyler Anderson, you look at um, Gonsolin, you look at uh, who is the name that's eluding me right here? Um, Andrew Heaney. Right. I mean, a few of these guys were journeymen, guys that had been written off and they come to L.A. and they put up sub three ERAs and you're just like, wow, where did that come from? Right. But that's the thing. That's why I feel this way about No Syndergaard, because he's not a journeyman. He was a high profile player with a flamethrower and he dealt with injuries and never looked the same afterwards. It reminds me of Madison Bumgarner. If it was if it was No Syndergaard pre-injury and he wasn't really a top flight pitcher and all the scouts and analysis showed he had this wipeout slider that he only throws 10% of the time when he should be throwing it 40% of the time, then I'd be buying in all in on Noah Syndergaard because the Dodgers would pinpoint that and say, okay, we want you throwing your slider 40% rather than 10% and you just need to lean into it and, and believe in it. But it's, it's different than, in my opinion, it's different than those other guys like Andrew Keeney and Tyler Anderson. Anderson had that, that change up that he relied on more. Um, and Andrew Heaney just um, curveball heavy yeah. pitch sequence, yeah. So that's kind of the way I feel um, towards towards that. So I kind of like that we we differ in opinion on this. Yeah. Um, well, we don't it, often differ in opinions when it comes. Well, to Aaron, so. uh, I also think it's important to remember. You know, Thor is this will be his second year back from injury. Um, oftentimes it takes a couple guys, two, three years, you know, like it, and not everybody comes out of the gate, like Justin Verlander, who, if you actually think about it, really did also have two years. Um, Thor's velocity was down last year. The zip was down. The spin rate was down. Like everything wasn't looking good for, for Thor last year. I wouldn't be surprised if we see an uptick in velocity this year. I wouldn't be surprised if the Dodgers can resurrect a little bit of him, his former self. Now, does that say I'm buying him this year? Absolutely not. I just would not be surprised if come June we're watching Noah Syndergaard out there as like, damn, what a steal he was. You know, like, I can't believe we all wrote him off. Um, But I've, you know, after 10 years of playing fantasy baseball, I've been burned too many times. Chris Sale's a great, great player to to throw into that. Madison Bumgarner, great name you threw out there. Like, I believe Thor's probably going to follow those guys more than he is the Verlanders. But there is always opportunity in that in that second third year of recovery from Tommy John to have you know an increase in ability again. Um, but okay, th- that's our news and notes. We're gonna jump into kind of a little bit of a different segment here. We're gonna we're gonna talk about some of the same guys we just spoke on, but it's gonna be a simple concept: are they better or worse in their new um, environments? So we have a list of names here. All of these players obviously uh, have changed teams. Uh, so we're gonna start off Jacob Degrom in texas richie better or worse than new york better yes and then the ones we've already talked about them i think we're just fly through them yeah 
Yeah. Uh, Justin Verlander, better or worse in New York than Houston? Better. Interesting. I say worse. Uh, Trey Turner, better or worse in Philadelphia than LA? Better. Yep. Uh, this should be an easy one for you, Richie Carlos Rodon from Giants to the Yankees. I think it's worse. Yeah, I think so. I think marginally, but I agree. Uh, Xander Bogarts, Padres over Boston. At first, I would have said worse, but now you have me thinking more that it might be better. So I'm just going to go push and say he'll be pretty much on par with where he's been. I'm going to say worse this season, and I'm going to say worse in regards to who he should be, which is 322 to 25. Um, next year, I will have a very different opinion, though. I promise you that. Uh, Dansby Swanson, Chicago from Atlanta. I'm actually going to say it's better for him. He's not going to be surrounded by a better lineup, but I think he can hit more home runs in Chicago. I say far worse. Um, Wilson Contreras, L, uh, better. I'm, I'm going to yeah. say... Better lineup, um, a team that's willing to win. I think he's going to be motivated. He's replacing uh, Hall of Famer Yadier Molina. He's got a lot to live up to. I think he doesn't want to fail. I'm going to say push. I'm going to say push. Um, Jose Abreu, you already kind of answered this, but give me another answer. Better. Got it. Uh, Chris Bassett, Toronto over New York. Worse. Yep, I agree. Um, Andrew Benatendi is in Chicago White Sox uniform now over the Yankees and the Royals. It doesn't matter. I say better. It's worthless. I think we see the best years of Andrew Benatendi in Chicago. Um, 220? uh, I think we're going to see him hit. I'm just kidding. Uh, no shift. Up on no shift this year. I think we see him hit 315, 20 home runs, 15 steals. Do uh, you think he'll hit 315? Yeah, absolutely. I'll, I'll bet that he'll hit under 315. No, I'm not betting on it. I'm just throwing a number out there. But I'm telling you, Andrew Benatini's best years are to come. Uh, okay, you answered this just a minute ago. Noah Syndergaard, better or worse than his time in Philly and in Anaheim? I think it'll be better, but yeah. I still don't believe in him. I say better. He he had a down year last year, and this will be a year to determine if he's up or down. Um, okay, this is a good name. We've had a lot of injuries here, change in scenery with Mitch Hanniger. He's leaving Seattle area. He's headed to New York. He is going to be the focal part of that Giants offense, better or worse. Wait, you said New York. Can he go to the San Francisco, Mitch Hanniger? Yeah. What did I say, Giants? You said New York. Well, he's a giant. Oh, you probably said New York Giants. Oh, we're still in football season. Disregard. Um, I mean, honestly, the New York Giants need another weapon. Like, so, I, I throw, throw him in there, dude. <laughs> they need something <laughs> for the playoffs. Um, I'm going to say push. Um, both ballparks, Seattle and San Francisco, are more pitcher friendly. I don't think it really helps or hurts him much. It doesn't really have much of an impact in my opinion. So I'm going to say better. It's because of the conversations that were stemming around Carlos Correa that we've heard on a few other podcasts and within in the market itself. Um, I didn't realize how hitter-friendly the right-hander version of that park is. Left field actually benefits left-handed hitters more than we think, and I think it was like 7th or ninth in the entire league in hitter-friendly um, kind of confines for right-handed hitters, and I think Mitch Hanniger is going to really lean on that. And we've seen right-handed hitters for the Giants have success. You know, it's just not a flashy team. It's not a flashy park. I think we might see a couple really good years for Mitch Hanniger from the power perspective. Uh, I'm going to say better. Let's see if he can stay healthy. Yeah, and that's right. That's the big thing for him. Can he stay healthy? 
Uh, next up, Craig Kimbrell. We kind of talked about him in a minute ago. What do you think, better or worse? If he is the closer, I think it's better, but I don't believe he will be, or if at best it's a committee, so I'm going to say worse. Okay. I'm going to say better because he had pretty terrible season last year. Um, Nathan Avaldi leaving Boston, headed over to the Rangers. What do you think? Better. Yep, I agree. All right, so we've finally gotten to the last player on this list, and this last player on the list is my steal of the draft this year. He is my comeback player of the year. Um, I am all in, and his name is Joey Gallo. What do you think, Richie, better or worse? Well, I guess i got to say better if you're all in on him. Um, yeah, I, I'd say push. Um, the only thing that's going for him that would be better initially is that he's going to the AL Central now. So he's going to be playing against some really bad teams now. Um, and from that natural standpoint, that's the worst pitcher he's going up against. So, Well, and you have, to, you have to remember no shift this year. Um, you know, that batting average is automatically going to rise. Yeah. And I feel like he's going to be given a decent amount of – He's more of, of a fly ball hitter anyway. So, like, he's not – I mean, I guess when he does hit the ground – yeah, but you got to think how many of these players are fly ball hitters because they've been shifted. You know, I mean, think about it. If if you yeah, know, Joe Gale's always been a fly ball hitter. Yeah, but the shift has, for the most part, been his entire career. You know, I mean, yeah. you, you got to think back. He there was a, there were a couple of seasons, um, and I'm gonna have to pull it up right here. But there were a couple of seasons where I think we had hopes that he could be a 270 hitter with 40 home runs. You know, and what we've seen over the course of his career is just you know a pathetic fall off i mean 2019 70 games he hit 253 uh 2021 with the rangers before the trade to the yankees he hit 223 like there there was opportunity for him to at least at 19 push that 270 mark without a shift um in 2021 223 probably is a 250 hitter without the shift uh, it, the big issue has been the strikeouts, obviously, right? Strikeouts, and then that shift really chipped into him. And I think confidence, too. You look at what he did on the Dodgers last year. He had 162 in 44 games. Uh, it's 134 plate appearances. And then with the Yankees, he had 159. So just an abysmal season. Um, we're going to need to see him refine his confidence in Minnesota. And I think with the addition of Carlos Correa, you have Buxton, Correa. And you have some of the younger guys on this team. You have Polanco. Gallo to this mix takes away a lot of that pressure. And I think if you could see a resurgence, you also have to remind yourself he's playing again for a contract. Like we could see Joey Gallo come out and have a career year for the simple fact that this is it. If he does not perform this season, he will be signing one-year contracts with the Rays, the Royals, teams that just need a big-time bat on that bench. So name to look out for early off-season, big-time favorite Joey Gallo. Um, I want to see a resurgence. Oh, yeah, we'll see. We'll see. I'm interested to see about a lot of uh, hitters with the shift and it going away, what that's going to do. Oh, yeah, and we'll have an episode um, probably next episode. We'll break down some of the rule changes because they are significant. Shift, obviously, but also um, the pitch clock as well as the uh, pickoff. You only get two pickoffs now. Stolen bases should skyrocket, and that's going to be a big reason for some of the guys we talk about moving forward into this next segment uh you know some of the young kids coming up with the speed the speed's finally going to play again at least from what i'm assuming from the way i'm analyzing it so right now we want to jump into a segment kind of analyzing some of the big time breakouts from last year and possible names that we think could replicate or be the you know prototype player 
to kind of bring some um, some big time fantasy value from kind of out of the shadows here. So big time name last year, Spencer Strider absolutely exploded. He was a guy that bounced around in our dynasty league from team to team. You had him, I had him. Um, we ultimately couldn't wait for him to enter that rotation, and we had to let him go because of roster spacing. And he ended up on a rebuilding team, which is very good for the rebuilding team, good for the league. Uh, but Spencer Strider, what a season. Definitely a guy that uh, I think will be looked at for the next three, four years as, as a predominant possible top 10 pick in the starting pitching rotations uh, for fantasy. Richie, what did you think of Spencer's season? And possibly who are you forecasting to be the Spencer Strider of 2023? Yeah, I love Spencer Strider. His fastball was highly touted back in the minors, had eyes on him all the way back in 2021. Um, but I initially was scared off of him because he didn't have much of a secondary pitch um, coming up, but he does have a curve and a change that are average or plus. Um, when I was looking at this, I looked at it as, okay, Spencer Strider, who's the next Spencer Strider for 2023? And I was thinking of players that have an elite fastball, just like Spencer Strider does, but they don't necessarily have a rotation spot. They're probably going to start in the bullpen and then work their way in once a rotation spot's available. And there's two names that came to mind. The first one, Hunter Brown, pitcher for the Houston Astros. He actually came up for the Astros last year, worked in relief, had two starts when I think Justin Verlander was injured. Um, but over 20 and a third innings, he had a .89 ERA with 22 strikeouts um, during that duration. And then over last year in AAA, he had a .255 ERA with 134 strikeouts over 106 innings, but he also flashes a 99-mile-an-hour fastball, and MLB gives him a 65 grade, which was the exact same as Spencer Strider, but he's got a 65-rated curveball, 55-rated slider, um, and he's got a 45-rated control, which is the same as Spencer Strider. So all that being said, that's why Hunter Brown sticks out to me. Um, He's also got the same situation. There's no rotation spot for him. As it sits right now, the rotation is going to be Framber Valdez, Christian Javier, Luis Garcia, and then the last two, Lance McCullers and Jose Urquidy. Lance McCullers can never stay healthy, and Jose Urquidy, if he starts to falter, I could see them making that switch where Urquidy goes to the bullpen and Hunter Brown comes up, but it remains to be seen. The second guy, Yosver Zuluda. And this is the second-rated prospect for the Toronto Blue Jays. He has a 70-grade rated fastball. I think it touches like 102 or 103. And then he's got some above-average curveball, 55, slider, 55, change, 55, but also control, 45. So it's really just that fastball. Um, and there's a lot of worry amongst the, the scouting reports that his control is not going to help him. And he also doesn't have any rotation spot as it sits right now. Alec Manoa. Kevin Gosman, Chris Bassett, and then the end here, Jose Barrios, horrible last year. Yusei Kikuchi hasn't done much, and then Hanjin Ryu has been injured. So those last three easily lose a rotation spot to Zaluda if he figures out how to keep his control. Having said all that, Matt, what do you think of those two guys, and who was your pick? Yeah, I mean, comping out of Spencer Strider is very, very hard. Um, I don't think we've seen a player come up with this kind of ability uh, I mean, this is a conversation i think we had the other day that you know reminded me of steven strasberg kind of came out of the gates as soon as he hit the rotation and dominated 
um, and then found found continuous domination. Um, you know, we've seen a lot more guys like Alec Manoa come up who surprise you because they are pitching almost identically to what they did in the minor leagues and, you know, innings eaters and guys that limit runs. From a strikeout perspective, we don't often see a guy come up, pair strikeouts with good ERA, with good whip. I think Strider's definitely, he, he's, a, he's a talent, and it's going to be hard to comp him. Um, I like Hunter Brown a lot. I think Hunter Brown's probably in the best position of almost any prospect if he can get a rotational spot. You know, we have injury concern with uh, Lance McCullers. We had some performance concerns with Lance McCullers in that um, playoff stretch we had. So I think that might be an opportunity for him to slide in. Um, he's got the best lineup there. But from a dominance perspective of Strider, I would say that Hunter Brown more or less falls in the Alec Manoa bag for me. Um, I don't think we're going to have dominant strikeouts on a continuous basis from Brown. I think we're going to see, you know, runs limited, six, seven inning games from him, you know, kind of just a, a standardized two, three in a rotation and a good rotation. Uh, and, and then the second name, I, I love him, but he reminds me a little bit more um, of the young man that passed away for the Kansas City Royals. The name eludes me right now. I, um, is it Ventura? Am I saying that properly? Do you remember who I'm talking about? I can't. I can't think of who you're talking about. The kid was comp to Pedro Martinez and just never put it together. Um, the control concerns me. The age concerns me. If you're at 22 years old and you haven't been able to figure out kind of the the control aspect yet, I'm concerned. And you know, we talk about Strider's ability uh, in the minor leagues and the lack of control he had. It, it, I feel like that was undervalued because when you look at him at Clemson, he actually had pretty good control. Um, and then Strider obviously was able to figure out with his pitch mix. So that was the big thing too. But I have a couple different names for you. One's very easy. Uh, and it's kind of tied to Hunter Brown as well because of opportunity. I was going to be Taj Bradley. Bradley had an absolutely incredible season last year. Um, his numbers overall, he had two different levels last year. A one eight three, excuse me, a two five seven ERA in 2022. Uh, overall, 133 innings, 140 some strikeouts. He had a dominant season, and um, I think he could definitely be a guy that comes up and puts together kind of the showy season. Not necessarily the same numbers that we saw from Strider, but definitely an opportunity for him to step in and and dominate as well. Um, let me recreate these numbers for you. 2022, again, 133 innings, 141 strikeouts. So we're not going to see the same kind of dominance from strikeouts, but that 257 ERA paired with his 2021 overall ERA, which was a 183. We're seeing a guy that can really limit. He is a cutter fastball first pitcher as well. So when you look at him, he doesn't have that slider. Uh, Changeup is going to be his three. Uh, Curveball is going to be his four. Control at a 55 overall rating, fastball at a 60. So I think what we're seeing from Bradley is is really good overall location, and that cutter plays really well in the big leagues right now. So Bradley's going to be my guy that I think could be flashy. But when I'm looking at guys that could possibly come up and provide immediate impact, my favorite name here is actually Owen White. Uh, White came out in the Arizona Fall League and absolutely dominated. He's been a guy that's kind of lost luster with some of the scouts around the league. He's lost uh, prospect pedigree as well. He was a second-round pick for Texas in 2018. When you look at Owen White's numbers last year, he had a 3.59 ERA, but the big things were the strikeouts for me. Uh, White had 80 total innings last year, and across two overall uh, leagues, single A uh, and double A last year, he was able to have 104 strikeouts with a 1.16 whip. 
I think we could see White enter this rotation for Texas, and I think we could see him June, July, August really provide some dividends for, for fantasy owners because as it stands right now in Dynasty Leagues, I, I don't think people are overly over the moon for him. Um, and we've talked a lot about Texas. I, I think this could be a team of opportunity. But I would also put Owen White kind of in that Hunter Brown classification because, again, we're not going to see the 12, 13 Ks per nine, similar to what we saw with Strider. Strider's strikeout numbers were absolutely ridiculous. Last name I have for you is Mick Bell for the Phillies organization. I really like him. I think he could come up this year, um, but I don't think we're going to see enough of an opportunity for him this season. And then actually last name I have is Cade Cavalli. I think Cade could be the guy that provides strikeouts out of all of these guys at the highest clip, but I do think Cade's ERA is going to be higher, and I do think that the run support is going to be almost non-existent in Washington. Yeah, and it's hard because trying to project who's going to be the next Spencer Strider is so difficult. If we could figure it out now, obviously we'd be drafting them as a top 100, top 150 pick, but we just don't know. Anything can happen. And look, look at even Corbin Burns when he came up. He had no control, and then he just – something clicked. He figured it out, and all of a sudden he took off. So what you're really looking for is who has that raw underlying stuff, and they just need to figure out that control because once they figure it out, um, they'll be unstoppable. Yeah, and and to the point, you know, the big piece of this is, is there opportunity, right? I mean, you look at what Hunter Brown had last year. There were a few opportunity weeks where, you know, they were resting players, they were skipping starts. You know, does he get the opportunity to actually pitch half a season as a, as a full rotational starter? Um, you know, you talk about some of the young pitchers in the game right now, like Taj Bradley. Like, he sh- probably should have been brought up last year. I mean, he was pitching at that kind of a clip in the minor leagues. Like, does the Rays organization finally give him a shot this year? Or do they continue to baby these pitchers? Gabe Cavalli obviously had a shot last year, didn't play very well in the minors, didn't have a great showing. So I think it's opportunity. Because when we were talking about possible breakouts in spring training last year, Strider's name came up, but also two or three other Atlanta Braves also came up. You know, so you're talking about guys that it's just simple opportunity. Um but that brings us to our next player here, and this is one that I like a lot. It's Kyle Wright. I made a trade. Kyle, I traded Kyle Wright this past year uh, for Mackenzie Gore. Wright continued his dominance, had an absolutely incredible year. Finally, tapped into that potential that he had been touted as as the fourth overall pick. So, Richie, what did you think of Wright's season, and who do you think could possibly make an ascension similar to what Kyle Wright did in 2022? Yeah, I was amazed by Kyle Wright, another guy who just needed to figure out his command and get it figured out. Um, high prospect, and I think it's sustainable. And trying to figure out who's going to be that player for this year was difficult for me. Um, actually looking at this list of who you put down after I created my list, I like your two way more than mine and have a lot more confidence in yours over mine. Um, but I'm going to go with Daniel Lynch, Jackson Cower, or Josiah Gray. Um, Josiah Gray and Daniel Lynch, I have more confidence in than Jackson Coar. Um, watching Coar come up for the Royals, he looks lost and way overwhelmed. Um, can't really handle the big leagues. Daniel Lynch, um, they were drafted in the, the same same year, both first round talents. But then you look at Daniel Lynch, he spent most of the time in the major leagues last year, 131.2 innings. Um, he did give up 52 walks, which is concerning to me. Um, that's almost a walk every three innings. 
probably more than that. So um, you're looking at probably three, four walks per inning or per nine. Um, strikeouts were a little bit low, but he is that first-round talent, has the pitch mix. I think if he can lower his walks, um, maybe even just half, I think he could possibly turn around. I don't know if I have the most confidence in it. Um, and then Josiah Gray, when you look at his stats all the way at his time with the Dodgers, throughout the whole minor league season, he had an ERA sub three um, his entire career. Then he gets traded to Washington, and all of a sudden it skyrockets to a 5-3-1. And then last year, a 5.02. Um, something's just not clicking there. He's got the strikeouts. He's got 154 and 148 innings last year. So he's definitely striking out more than a batter per inning. So he's got the stuff. Um, his walks are okay. He's got 66 and 148. So I think if he can uh, command the strike zone a little bit more and figure it out, I think those are two players that could possibly make the leap. But when you look at the underlying numbers, the XFIP and um, the regular FIP just are aligning not too much. Um, let me pull it up real quick. When we look at Daniel Lynch last year, his ERA was 5.13. The XFIP had him at 4.30, so not great, but that's a whole run lower. So we'll see what happens. But I like what yours are, Matt. Let's go ahead and take a stab at yours. Yeah, and I, I actually just added a name to my list because he's been my guy for almost a full year now. Um, and we'll get to him third because I want to pull up his minor league numbers for us. But I have two names, and again, it's hard. It's hard to pick a guy that's going to just figure it out and put it together, right? You talked about Corbin Burns. He did it. You talk about what Kyle Wright did last year. Just figured it out. And I just want to hit on a, a quote that Kyle Wright said last year that I absolutely loved. And it was an interview post game, and they were asking him about his success and how he figured it out and this and that. And he said, you know, I've struggled for three or four years and I thought I was so far away from the level of production that I, I wanted to hold myself accountable to. And he said, all I can do is tell these younger pitchers, you're really not that far away. You're a tweak here or there. You're, you're the experience and the exposure away from having everything that you want right in front of you. And I thought that was so beautiful because I think he's spot on. You know, you look at the success stories like Corbin Burns and Kyle Wright, and they really were just a simple tweak pitch mix away and confidence from throwing that pitch mix to being great. And when you have the great arm talent that Wright has as well as Burns, you eventually see it as long as you, you know, don't lose the confidence. And I think that's the biggest thing for a lot of guys is loss of confidence. That's my concern with Jackson Cower loss of confidence and he doesn't necessarily have the arm talent that a Wright has or a burns has um so my two names are more from a perspective of arm talent first one being sixto sanchez it's really been injuries that have derailed sixto's career highly touted coming over in that jt romito trade we've talked about him probably three or four years now i think less in 2022 because we kind of just got tired of the injuries and we just assumed he wouldn't play which he didn't um but i think if sixto can come back healthy this season I think we could see a very similar rise to Kyle Wright because he has the arm talent. Again, you're looking at opportunity down there in Miami. There's plentiful opportunity. Um, Matt Manning being my second in Detroit. Struggled with injuries last year, came back, and his final four starts didn't allow more than three runs per game. I think there's a lot of arm talent there. I think his big issue is pitch mix and it's confidence. He is a dominating uh, fastball. He's a dominating curveball. He really needs to lean into that. 
And I think if I'm correct, Manning's 24 or 25 now, similar in age to Kyle Wright. I do think we are just a season or two away from Matt Manning figuring it out and allowing to be trusted. Again, though, injuries with Manning. He's had two full seasons now where he's been derailed in Detroit. We need to see him healthy. And then my final name is Kyle Muller. Uh, this was a guy that was rising through Brave systems for years now. Uh, obviously, no, no longer with the Braves. He was traded in that Sean Murphy deal this past year. He was a guy I had been watching all season to see when he was going to get his opportunity because the strikeout numbers were high, uh, and he fit the profile of a breakout. But again, the issue was opportunity when you look at him. Um, Richie, what do you think of these three while I pull up uh, Muller's numbers? Yeah, I like Sixto a lot. It's He's always had the talent. He's going to stay healthy. Same with Matt Manning. Has the pedigree. Got injured. Uh, like what he could do. Kyle Muller is interesting to me because he has the pedigree. Just couldn't put it together when he got brought up to the majors. Yep. Always do well in AAA. And then as soon as he get called up, it just he'd always get lit up. Like I think who the, who does that remind you of though? Who does it remind me? of? It reminds yeah, me of Kyle Wright. Right. I mean, just couldn't put it together. Yeah. Right. Yeah. No, I agree. Uh, I think Kyle Muller actually was the the favorite or even the number five starter going into last year before Spencer Strider and Kyle Wright actually ended up taking in those final spots. I could be wrong on that. I might be getting my Kyles mixed up, but I thought that's what it was. Well, then there was there was a fourth, um, and I I will have to we'll have to look back on on a little bit of time data here. But um, you're right; he was fighting for that rotational spot. I love, I love that he's in Oakland. I absolutely love it. There's zero pressure. He's gonna. He has. Uh, is it Waldachowski who came over from from New York? Am I pronouncing his name correctly? Waldachuk. Yeah, Waldachuk. I think those two together are going to only benefit each other because they're very different styles of pitchers. Both left-handed, obviously. These are the numbers yeah. I wanted to throw at you real quick. Three forty-one. Go ahead. Hus- Husker, you know us. Yeah, you know. Don't you know? How did we forget that? We didn't, you know. Um, sorry guys, that's our inside joke. It's Probably turning the podcast off right now. <laughs> um, but Mueller last year in AAA, um, 354 ERA, so not great. 23 overall starts, 134 innings, 159 strikeouts. K per nine at a 10.6. I love the strikeout ability. You know, like we were talking about who could be the next Spencer Strider and the big hangup was like, well, who has the K per nine? Muller has the K per nine. He just needs to figure everything else out. If he can figure out his location, he can get his ERA around a 3-5 at a pro level. You're talking about an absolute great fifth option in your fantasy rotation. Um, and Woldachuk, too. I mean, not the strikeout guy, but he's going to limit runs. I think Muller in, in Oakland is a fantastic buy low. Steal possibly at the end of your drafts this year. I'm going to push the other two names out of the equation. I'm going to say my 2023 Kyle Wright is going to be Muller. Okay. Good to see it. I mean, he's already got a rotation spot pretty much locked in with the A's. I'm excited for the A's. It's a disappointment that I am, you know, I'm blacked out of like 12 different markets because I would actually like to watch some of these A's games this year because you have so much opportunity, right? I mean, Sean Murphy getting traded, their final star gone. Like you literally are looking at a band of misfits and guys that have needed opportunity, and here it is. Like, J.P. Sears is another guy. It's, it's like there are a lot of guys that I think provide big-time value that we'll get to later in the offseason, but this Oakland team may not be this black hole that we all think in regards to fantasy opportunity. 
All right, Richie, moving along, we have the f- best name on this list, at least for me, um, and my biggest disappointment. I will remember the Michael Harris trade for a very long time. Had a great season last year, one rookie of the year. Um, so you have a note here. We want to comp the next year's Michael Harris, so 2023's Michael Harris, a player in A or lower that will reach the majors and make an immediate impact. You have a couple names. I have a couple names. You go first. Yeah, so this one was difficult for me because I wanted to focus that on double A or lower because there's a lot of guys in triple A right now that we know are going to come up and they're going to make an impact. So that makes it easier for us to just pick somebody like, um, well, now I can't even think off the top of my head. Um, well, use, my, use mine. Use, use mine, my first guy, because I think oh, that's... Yeah, I think that's a great Nicole example. Frisco. Yeah, he was Mr. Frisco. I think he, even had, I think he even might have had a couple of MLB appearances, but he, he could easily come up and make a, an immediate impact. Um, Francisco Alvarez only had one major league game. Like he's going to come up and he's going to make an impact. There's so many AAA players that are going to come up, so it's harder to find who's in A right now and they're going to make their, they're going to ascend to the major leagues. Um, but there's two that I saw that stuck out to me where I'm like, I can totally see these guys making the majors by the middle of summer and actually contributing. So the first one, Jordan Walker, um, top prospect for the Cardinals. Um, he's listed as a third base, but you and I have talked extensively how they're playing him in the outfield because they think he can be ready. Um, you look at their outfield outside of Tyler O'Neill. You know, you're going to rely on Brendan Donovan. Dylan Carlson hasn't done anything. Then you have Lars Neubar. Um, There's a lot of space in the outfield or designated hitter where Jordan Walker can easily come up and contribute for this team. Look at what he did last year at double-A. He hit 306 um, over the course of 119 games, had 19 homers. He had 58 walks to 116 strikeouts. Uh, he's known for his power. Uh, he got a 65 grade um, with MLB. Um, first round draft pick. I mean, he's got the pedigree. I think he easily comes up and can do work for the Cardinals. And he might even push for rookie of the year, um, which we'll talk about later. But I don't have him as my rookie of the year. The other guy that stuck out to me is Evan Carter, outfielder for the Texas Rangers. He's currently at double A. Last year in six games when he made it to double-A, he hit 429. Granted, it's only six games, but before that at high eight, he was hitting 287. He is a uh, second-round draft pick in 2020. He gets a 60-grade hit tool with a 50-grade power. But the reason why I think he can come up and contribute is when you're looking at, excuse me, when you're looking at the outfield for the Texas Rangers, the first one sticks out, Adolis Garcia, great player he's not overtaking him but you look at the other guys Bubba Thompson Josh Smith Leotis Tavares he easily can um, contribute more than what those guys can uh, now I grant there could be some moves that still happen but as of right now I like Evan Carter's chances and the path he has to come up and make an impact I think those are good names and you talked about opportunity and we you know we'll swing back on that over and over and over and over again I think opportunity is the biggest thing we look for um and, you know, I, I obviously had, had put down on my list, uh, self relic. I, I do agree with you. He is a little bit older, obviously than Michael Harris was, he did get to the triple a level. 
Uh, I love what he's going to do this year. He's actually my second on the list for NL Rookie of the Year, but we're going to take his name off just because of the AA requirement here. I'm going to go ahead and go with Zach Veen as my guy. Um, and this big plays big because of the opportunity with stolen bases this year and also the opportunity with the fact that the Rockies organization needs to have a star. They need to have someone to sell tickets. Um, I, I think Veen's probably more than likely going to come up at the end of 2023, but if for any reason he comes up in June or July, I think we could see an absolute explosion of just athletic talent on the field, um, which I think was why Harris played so well. He played above what his numbers were in the minor leagues, and that's what we're going to have to expect from from Zach Veen if we want to have any replication similar to Harris's numbers. Look at Veen's numbers in 2022, 11 total home runs, 50 stolen bases. He batted 269. Um, that was in single A. And then you look at his double-A opportunity, was not very good. 34 total games, hit 177, only stole five bases and one home run. Definitely looked like he was playing below the ability of everyone else in double-A, but he had a very good showing in the Arizona Fall League, and that's something I really like to lean on each offseason is who is taking that next step if they've had hurdles at an individual level. And Veed showed out in the Arizona Fall League and showed that he can play. So I could see continual fast advancement with his um, overall production. And I could see him getting a shot this year, but it is hard. You look at what Harris did. He was an all-around player, hit the 20 home runs, had the 20 steal potential as well. Um, I, th I think it's very challenging to look at the 20-year-olds because we kind of are leaning back on that Juan Soto season. You know, I think that's something we can probably look at in the future is how was Juan Soto's rookie year in comparison to Michael Harris's. But again, it's opportunity, and, and it's can these guys make a strong push early in spring training. Again, this will be one of the years where we have a regular spring training, and we'll have the opportunity for guys like Carter, like Veen, to showcase themselves as being ready. Uh, I do think Jordan Walker is probably the best name here. He's the best talent out of all of these with overall game and offensive production for fantasy baseball, uh, at least in a points league. Uh, but again, playing time for Jordan Walker, it's going to have to be in the outfield. All right, Richie, we are on our final projection here. We're going to do AL and NL Rookie of the Year. Uh, we kind of both have the same guys, so I'm just going to let you go ahead and, and break it down for me. Give me your AL first. Yeah, I think for AL Rookie of the Year, for me, it's got to be Gunnar Henderson. He's a clear front runner. I don't think anybody else can compete with him. Maybe Hunter Brown, but I think Hunter Brown is going to be in the bullpen to start the beginning of the season, and Gunnar Henderson is just going to skyrocket with, uh, I think he has something similar to what Julio Rodriguez did, um, not as far as production, but as far as Rookie of the Year voting goes. Um, and then for NL Rookie of the Year, Corbin Carroll, his hit tool is just phenomenal. I think he is just, he's going to run away with it as well. I, I know Francisco Alvarez, catcher for the, the Mets, is uh, another front runner, but being a catcher, you have to work on uh, pitch framing and defensive metrics. So I don't think he's going to have the offensive year that everybody thinks he's going to have. And I think Corbin Carroll um, runs away with it as well. Well, yeah, there's conversations with Alvarez um, regarding the Mets organization that they may, they may actually keep him down to continue to work on some of the pitch framing, the um, the catching abilities on, from the defensive perspective, from the game-calling perspective, which – if that's the case, I think it's best for him and best for the organization um, because, you know, you bring this kid up too early. Those aren't necessarily things that you can learn quickly on the fly. And if you have pitchers like Justin Verlander, Max Scherzer, are they really going to put up with that? You know, um, I think that's got to be in the Mets plan. So I think that definitely makes Carroll even more the front runner. Uh, but, yeah, we do have the same names. I have Gunnar Henderson as well, Corbin Carroll. 
I think both of these kids showcased ability, maybe not total consistency last year, but they showed themselves as being almost star ready with their hit tools, their defensive ability. Um, and then again, we go we circle right back to opportunity. These guys are going to be starters day one this year. I think that's really big for both teams. My second name is Sal Frelick. Um, we talked about him a little bit earlier, kind of taking him off that Michael Harris comp because of where he's had with his projection. But this is going to be a very, very good major league player. Um, I want to comp him to probably if Corbin Carroll's tier A, I'm going to say Frelick's, you know, you know, tier one B. I, I think we see very similar profiles. We see good defense. We see hit tool. We see the ability to steal bases. Uh, you have two guys here that can be 2020 players on a regular basis while hitting 300. Frelick, obviously a little bit different than Carroll, a little bit older, going to have the Milwaukee situation, which I think is less opportunity. He's going to be fighting with Mitchell for that outfield. Um, but but I like those two names as being possible candidates. Carroll, obviously my front runner. Uh, Frelick is going to be my kind of dark horse. Yeah, if I were to throw another name in there, it would be Jordan Walker for NL Rookie of the Year. The thing with him, yet again, with same with um, AL Rookie of the Year, is when does he come up and how much can he contribute? I agree with you. My my one concern with watching Walker over the course of the last couple of years, I'm very concerned with uh, big league pitching and overpowering him. Um, he has really feasted on lesser tier talent at each of his developmental growth. Extreme power, good contact skills, but he has a very long swing. And I want to see if he can translate and shorten it down. We've seen a few videos of him having more of a compacted swing with an Arizona fall opportunity um, because he's going to need to lean on that at a major league level. And if, if he can do that and he can find a way to hit 270, that power will really show um, and then again, opportunity, right? This is this is a St. Louis team that is looking to win the division, much like the Braves were last year. If we have an injury, I don't think they're going to be scared at all to bring him up because he's going to be the best option to fill that injured spot. So right back to opportunity. We'll see who has the most opportunity and who can capitalize on it. Yeah, uh, only time will tell. All righty. Well, that is going to wrap our show for today. We will have uh, more off-season news, more um, analyzing next show. Hopefully, we'll have more shows for you on a consistent basis now that we are getting closer and closer to baseball season and football season is over. Uh, we want to thank you guys, and we will see you next time. <laughs>